Uh, my name is Mark. I serve as one of the pastors here at the Hollows Church. It's good to see you all. Um, if you're new here, welcome. In your worship guide that you got um, coming in, we have this green connect card. We'd love to hear from you. That's something that you can just fill out. You can give us kind of your name, um, things that we can pray for. Um, if, there's, if there's something you want to be prayed for, if you want to be reached out, we would love to talk with you um, and get to know you better. So you can fill that out and you can put it in the giving box over there. Um, so thanks for, thanks for doing that. Before we start, would you pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, for the encouragement, the strength, and the peace that you bring us. Lord, I pray that we would know you better, that the Holy Spirit would soften our hearts and see the work that you do in the lives of your people, how you bring reconciliation, how you bring forgiveness to people who have been hurt. We pray, God, that this passage tonight that we get to read together would show us those things. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So last week, we heard one of the most dramatic conversion stories in the entire Bible. This is Saul, Saul the Pharisee, the high religious official. He gets the go-ahead to go to Damascus, but he's converted in that process. And I want to give you a little summary of, of, that, of that moment, what we learned last week. So Saul, his presence in Jerusalem... He's in Jerusalem, and it's terrifying. He's a scary person to the Jerusalem Christians. And the reason why is because he's persecuting them. He's leading the charge in persecuting all of these Christians. He's taking families, and he's dragging them into prison. He's orchestrating deaths of Christians like Stephen, and he's bringing people in, and his presence is known in the city, and people are afraid. The Jerusalem church is left in a state of secrecy, but not hopelessness. Because the Jerusalem church was not about to give up hope in the mission that Jesus had given them. The Holy Spirit was with them bringing strength and peace and encouragement while they continued to remain faithful. But Saul, on the other hand, he sees this work as a success. He sees what he did in Jerusalem, and he, and he wants to do the same thing again in Damascus. So he gets the go-ahead. He gets the papers signed. And after receiving clearance to go, we find Saul... A man on a mission walking to Damascus to wreak havoc on Christians and to take more prisoners. And yet, that is not at all what happens. We learned last week that Jesus intervenes. That God intervenes. Jesus seizes Saul. Dramatically humbles him. And shows him grace that he didn't deserve. 
Jesus changed him and brought him into the family of God. A man once lifted up in his own identity and his own mission is now brought low. Once setting out to destroy a movement, he now finds himself baptized and within the community of that very movement that he once went out to destroy. And that's what's beautiful about Acts. We see God's salvation, which became articulate and visible, in particular in Jesus, continuing to be visible articulate and particular in the life of the church, men and women being raised to new life in Christ. The life of Christ and the life of the church walking beside each other in the same spirit. Saul, who once sought the destruction of the Christians, is now walking in step with the same spirit. And we get to see in this passage today that it's giving him a new identity. It's giving him a new mission, and it's giving him a new community. And our passage this morning is the second half of Saul's conversion. From our understanding of the text, he's still in Damascus. He's with Ananias, and he doesn't waste any time. So let's read the second half. And what I want to do is I want to start with the second half of verse 19. Through 20. So let's read that together. It says, Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. So we have Saul. He comes into Damascus. He enters into the city gates. And he goes to report what he's just done. To the, to the Jewish rulers in the synagogues. And he goes up there, and they thinking that he's going to say, here are how many prisoners I've captured along the way. Here's the prisoners that I've thrown into jail. Instead, they find him saying, Jesus is the Son of God. To which they respond, what happened? What are you talking about, Saul? And he leaves them baffled. But why is this important? This is incredibly important because Luke, he wants to show us a little footnote here. He's showing us something that gives us a picture of Saul's new identity in Christ. When he says that Jesus is the Son of God, that's the only time that that phrase, Son of God, is mentioned in Acts. And we think, interesting. Why is that, Luke? Why would you do that? And he's going to say, I'm going to tell you why. Because he wants us to think about Matthew 26. When Jesus is standing before, on trial, standing before the high priest. And the high priest stands up and says to him, don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. To which Jesus responds, you have said it. Now we see Saul in the synagogue before the high priest, before the Jewish official saying, Jesus is the Son of God. Proclaiming this. And of course, 
he's going to be met with opposition. Of course people aren't going to like hearing that. That's why we get to read in verse 21. We get to hear what their response is. And I want to show you what I believe to be a very sinister response. It's very dark the way that they they respond to him in this. Yes, they are astounded, but there's something also a bit deeper at play. This is what they say. Verse 21, it says, All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who is causing havoc for those who called on his name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? Now what we see is they're they're surprised at what they heard. But what they want to do is they want to try to change Saul and shake his new belief and his new faith as a new believer Saul, you hated them. After everything you've done, not only that, you wreaked havoc on their whole community. You came here to rip their lives apart and destroy their community. How could you possibly think that you are any different? Give up. Give up. You are no different, and you are the same man that you were. I remember when I was a new believer, and I remember trying to um, communicate my faith. And I didn't really know how, because there's, I'm reading the scriptures, and I'm learning, this, I'm learning about Jesus, and I'm learning how he's impacting my life, but it's creating a, a new description for me that I haven't yet done before. And I remember there were people in my life that were not believers that would make jabs like, you're no different. You're just the same old Mark. There's nothing different about you. Come on. Relax with all this spiritual stuff. Come on, you're no, you're no different, Mark. And these jabs, they would, they'd pierce my heart and they would shake my new faith. And in those moments, if you felt that same way, we need to remember and have a response like Saul did. Saul was strong. In the response of after everything you've done, we can respond with Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love the song broken for me where it says, I know my sin and thousands more, but my father knoweth none. My sins have been forgiven. Christ bore them all for me. He for my sake was broken and died to set me free. We have a new song to sing. And Saul grew stronger by resting and the assurance and forgiveness of the gospel. He has become a new man. And now what we get to see, standing before the synagogue, we get to see this new man embrace a new mission. Verse 22, it says, But Saul grew stronger, and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving 
that Jesus is the Messiah. The Spirit lifted his head, and now the picture is finally seen. The gospel is the story that Saul was seeking this entire time in the Old Testament. And it's like a puzzle piece that suddenly fits together. When he's first just looking at how the pieces fit, he now gets to see the big picture. This is the gospel. And I see now that the Old Testament, everything in it points to Jesus. But friends, we sometimes read the scriptures and we read the lines a little too quick. Because we think that this happened overnight. But in reality, Galatians 1, Saul is telling us, he recollects that he goes back to square one. He spent three years, three years in Damascus, learning, studying, looking at the Old Testament, seeing how they connect to Jesus. He spent three years preaching. He's gaining experience. He even goes off to Arabia to do a mission trip. He comes back to, to Damascus by waiting, by looking at God's word with the Spirit's help. We can, he begins to see exactly what the Old Testament pointed to. And that is all of the equipping that he needed to be able to confound it. The most scholarly of Jews, the most scholarly leaders, by waiting and letting the Spirit speak to him and show him the connections, he was able to confound all of them. No one could debate with him. Friends, the Bible is all that we need when we wait on the Spirit to show us it's all we need to have these conversations, to have these scary, intimidating conversations and, and debates between an unbelieving group. So when they realize that they couldn't shake his new identity, they stopped that. When they realized that they couldn't debate him anymore, they let that go. And then they said, okay, what is our next step? What's the next thing that we could do? we should probably just try to kill him, right? It's pretty dark. It's pretty dark. I know. So what they do is they make a plan. They say, if we destroy the man, then we're going to destroy the mission, right? So the ruler of Damascus, he sets up guards into each and every exit to try to arrest him so that they can kill him. So let's read verse 23 together. It says, after many days... Oh, I'm sorry. This is verse 23 through 25. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned their plot. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through the opening of a wall. So the plot thickens. Things are getting intense. In the city, there's a disruption. They can see the movement. They see the guards gathering near and closer to the different exits. And Saul knows what they're doing. He knows what they're doing. Right? He sees that. So he tells his disciples, which also means in that three years' time, he's been able to make disciples of himself. Right? He's been making disciples of Christ. And now 
he's looking up and he's saying, guys, you got to help me. Now, I need to be careful because when I first read this, I thought, awesome. This is like an action movie waiting to happen. Who's ever seen Fellowship of the Ring? Right? Fellowship of the Ring. You know, when Frodo, he's in the inn and the ring rates come and they're stabbing. You know, they think they're the hobbits. And all, everybody's gathering uh, Frodo and they're like, we got to go. We got to get out of here. That's what's playing in my mind. In my mind, I'm thinking, this is crazy. There's an, they send him through an opening of a wall. Surely that meant they blew it up. Right? They probably had that, that explosive putty like in Rambo or something. You know, they put it on the wall and then they're like, there's no way out. So we've got to blow this place up. Right? They hit it, and then they take him in the basket, and they throw him out the basket, and somehow he survives. That's what I thought was happening. That's not at all what happened. That's not at all what happened. It's actually quite different. It's just a window. It's just a window. There's a small little window in the side of the building, in the side of the wall. And what we think, or what I thought at least, was really epic, this big moment, was quite humbling. It was quite a humbling moment where we have all of these grown men trying to wheel down a, little, a, a man in a little laundry basket out a window. Quite a different picture. Quite a different picture than the Saul who came in carrying prisoners through the gates where all the Jewish leaders were exclaiming and praising him for what he had done, now Saul finds himself being humbled in the most embarrassing way by a little basket and his disciples carrying him out. Yes, he's thankful for that mission, for them helping him. But why is this in there? Why is this in there? It's because Luke didn't want to write this story to impress us. He didn't put this in here to impress us. He wanted to show how humbling and humiliating Saul's situation was. And I think that any of us who have gone on a mission for God have been humbled in one way or another. In some ways, it's quite humorous. In other ways, it's not so humorous. Hopefully, none of us have been lowered out a window in a large laundry basket, but maybe we've forgotten our passport. Maybe something has happened like that. Maybe we had a conversation that was just really humbling before we were about to serve the Lord. And what we need to do is we need to recognize that humility and walking with the Spirit, it protects us from pride. It protects us from pride, and it keeps us dependent on Him. And I think that that's what God was doing. God was keeping Saul dependent on him. That he did get to see this is a new identity. This is a new person. And now, so they lower him through the throat, lower him in a basket, and off he goes by himself to join the others in Jerusalem. Let's read verse 26 through 30 together. When he arrived in, or yes, when he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Since they did not believe he was a disciple, Barnabas, however, took him and brought him into the apostles 
and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So Saul finds himself escaping from Damascus and now going into Jerusalem. And let's, I think it'd be really good for us to put ourselves in Saul's shoes right now. Saul is all alone. And let's just think about how vulnerable this would be to leave a place in shambles, to leave a place only to return on the same side of those that you persecuted with no one to vouch for you. At this time, the communication, the church was, was keeping secret. They, they weren't communicating with the Damascus church. And so they didn't know that Saul was a believer, even after three years. And if they did, it was, it was like hearing rumors. They wouldn't believe it. And so Saul is going by himself, knowing the destruction that he caused, knowing that the havoc and the families that he tore apart with no one to vouch for him. And let's even think about the old allies that he was now going to come face to face with. How he had to them per, uh, betrayed him. All of these things could have shaken and given him insecurity. But Saul had confidence in the forgiveness Christ has given to him and made him stronger in his insecurities. So he comes before the disciples in the church, now a repentant believer, and they don't take him. They don't take him, and they don't even believe him. We remember you, Saul. We remember what you did. Now he's a man stuck between two worlds. It seems as though he, this new belief has given him confidence. But what, what is he going to do now? If the church isn't going to accept him, and he certainly isn't going to go back, what does he do? The disciples, their inability to forgive Saul left him with no one to vouch for all the change that he experienced, all the work that he had done for Jesus. Where was Ananias when he needed him? The pain, the fear, and the disbelief in God's grace boiled to the top of the church, and the church collectively turned their back on Saul. But there's a however. However, Barnabas did not. While the church had their back towards Saul, Barnabas, exemplifying the tender heart 
of God comes forward and he says, I'll listen to your story. I'll talk to you. Saul, tell me what happened. Saul shares his testimony. He shares what he had seen. He shares what happened on the Damascus Road. And we see Barnabas faithfully forgiving Saul of the past and bringing him to the apostles as a brother. This is powerful. There was a, a Holocaust survivor named Corey Tenboom. And she tells this similar story of the power of forgiveness in the church. She says it was one Sunday afternoon in 1947. And she was coming from Holland to Germany with one simple message. God forgives. She'd been traveling to different churches and telling this same message in hopes that the truth of the gospel would bring forgiveness and reconciliation to a bitter, bombed-out land. And this was a Sunday afternoon where she finished her message, and everyone was standing and leaving, but there was one man in the very back who was coming towards her, and as soon as she saw his face, her heart stopped because she recognized him. In one instance, she saw a man coming down, an old, frail, humble-looking man with a gray coat walking forward, but in another flash, this was a young man walking forward who was taking her and her sister, she and her sister, to the concentration camps. This was the same guard who beat and abused she and her sister and later brought her sister to her death. She saw him, and this was the first time that she was face-to-face with one of her captors. Now, after just speaking about forgiveness, she said that her, her blood began to freeze with resentment. He thanked her for her message, and he didn't recognize her. But he grew awkward and he said, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. But since that time, I've become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me of the cruel things that I've done. And reaching out his hand, he said, will you forgive me? And this is what she said. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me. I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for for this man. How was I going to ask for anything more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me forgive him. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And I soon discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than it is on our goodness that the world's healing hinges. It's on his. 
When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. As I thrust my hand out into his, an incredible thing took place. A current started at my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. Then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, and bringing tears to my eyes, I said, I forgive you, brother, with my whole heart. The warmth and forgiveness flooded the heart of Barnabas as he saw the transformative power of the Spirit at work in Saul's life. Strength and peace are found in forgiveness. Strength and peace are found in forgiveness. By forgiving others, we begin to see God's movement in a person's life, and we get to see the grace that has been given, the same grace that was given to us. The great characteristic of the heart of Jesus is that in the hardest moment, when the wind blows cold on our hearts with bitterness, he's there to warm us up. Because the heaviest burden was his to bear. Because he forgave us, we can forgive them. This is a picture of the gospel. This is a beautiful picture of how Jesus changes the hearts of believers. Barnabas sought Saul to the, brought Saul to the apostles, and he as a brother explained everything that he had done. And as expected, we get to see Saul begin to preach with that same boldness that he had in Damascus. He has confidence in the Lord, and the church has confidence in him. They forgave him of his past sins, and they gave him a second chance. And when the Jews plotted to kill him the same way that they killed Stephen, what happens? The church is there that finds out. The church calls him brother. Notice that it isn't Saul who finds out about the plot. It's the church that finds out about the plot. It's his brothers that find out about the plot. And if there was Bitterness, if there was resentment in their heart, this was the easiest moment for them just to not say anything. Notice that they didn't even have to try. That was the church's test. They could have just walked away. They could have just looked the other direction. But instead, this man was our brother. And we are going to protect him. The brothers took him him and they led him out of Jerusalem they led his escape and through the help of Barnabas the church gained a leader that would then bring the gospel to the Gentiles 
Friends, we must remember to offer grace the same way that it was shown to us. Let's read verse 31 to see, to get some takeaways for this, for this evening. It says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. This is another happy conclusion for the church. People are living in the fear of the Lord and the overflow of that love for Jesus, that overflow of fear in the Lord is strength and peace. As we approach this new year, this is my prayer for us, that our fear in the Lord would bring strength and peace. And I want to look at this in a couple of different ways and see how the Spirit, the Holy Spirit does this. First, I'm praying for Spirit-fueled strength. Saul's strength, it didn't come from his own knowledge, and it didn't come from his own talents. He was brought low, he was humbled, and he was built up in the strength of the Holy Spirit through the encouragement that the word brought him and through the encouragement of his friends. None of us is called to do this alone. Let us be instruments that the Holy Spirit uses to strengthen one another to boldly proclaim the gospel in this city. We need each other. We need each other through the Holy Spirit to make us strong. And through that, there's spirit-filled peace. Spirit-filled peace. In our passage, we saw Saul go through a number of trials and still come out with a spirit-filled peace that passed over all of his circumstances. He was ridiculed. He was questioned. His character was attacked. He, his life was threatened twice. He was denied into the community. He was brought into the community. All of these things. If he had not had a spirit-filled peace, he would not have reacted the same way. We need the peace of God resting on us. Are we resting in that peace? We should ask ourselves that. Are we relying on our own understanding? Or are we letting the peace of the Holy Spirit rest on us? There's so much to offer in Jesus through his church but one thing that is so unique to us that I'm praying that we get to exemplify is spirit-led forgiveness. Being the expression and the embodiment of God's kingdom on earth, it means that we, we have the task of forgiving others as Christ forgave us. What does that begin with, though? I think that we get to look at 
Barnabas' example. It begins with listening. It begins with saying, I'll hear your story. Listen, let's come together. Talk. Tell me about it. Tell me what happened. It begins with exemplifying the tender heart of Jesus. Then we can forgive through the Holy Spirit. We can forgive the same way that Christ has forgiven us. So who is he leading you to? How is the tender heart of God moving you to forgive another? And I think that we'll find, I think we'll find the Holy Spirit leading people our way that will bring, it, that will bring us surprise, that will surprise us. Because this is the gospel through his church. People living out a spirit fuel, having a spirit-fueled strength, spirit-filled peace, and spirit-led forgiveness. That is going to cause heads to turn and to say, what's so different about them? It's a new year. So let's be ready this new year to lend an ear to those who need it and to point to the one who gives strength and peace. And I am sure that he will surprise us. Will you pray with me?